Hey everyone, this is Greg Schutz for ReadyForTheDraft.com, and this is the Ready For The Draft podcast. We are just two and a half weeks away from the NFL Draft, which is set to begin Thursday, April 25th in Nashville, Tennessee. I can't wait for, for the draft to finally get here. You know, over 250 games that I've watched, you know, breaking down players, taking a look at the team needs, and uh, I'm so excited that the draft is here. My favorite time of year, uh, NFL draft season, and uh, you know, what I really want to do is get everyone ready for this draft. So we're going to be taking a look at those, those positional breakdowns, position by position, um, taking a look at not only the top players at each position, taking a look at my, my top five, possibly even my top 10, but also some players that are flying under the radar. Um, you know, some team, some players that might be a little overrated, some guys that uh, are really my favorite players, uh, at each of the positions. And then really taking a look at where players might be coming off the board in each round. You know, who are the guys to watch out for, not only in the first and second and, and third round, but throughout the, the third day there as well. But that's going to have to wait just a minute because episode 25 picks up where we left off last episode. We took a look at the top 20 uh, teams in the top 20 and how their draft would fare over the course of the first four rounds. Now, if you recall, the Raiders, the Giants, and the Packers all have multiple first-round picks. So we only have nine teams left in the first round that we need to cover. Plus, we have Cleveland, Dallas, New Orleans, and Chicago, all of whom don't have a first-round pick. Um, so they'll have to wait until day two. And if you're in Chicago, you're actually waiting until the third round before you can make your first pick, unless you trade uh, back up into the uh, first two rounds. Uh, but we're going to take a look at what they're going to be looking at there uh, in day two and three. So we've got a lot to cover in, in a short period of time. So why don't we go ahead and just jump right into things. Number 21 overall, Seattle Seahawks. Now look, Seattle, when, when you, you're trying to project what Seattle's going to be doing, they kind of march to the, to the beat of their own drum, if you will. If you take a look at the last four first-round picks, James Carpenter, um, you know, coming out of Alabama, took t- took him with the 25th overall pick in the 2011 draft. You know, I thought that kind of came out of left field. I thought there were some other guys on the board that they might be able to pick up there, and uh, instead they decided they're going with James Carpenter. In 2012, you've got Bruce Irvin. You know, six three, 245 pounds, and. You know, it was one of those things to where, you know, here's this pass rusher, undersized, and where's he going to play? Is he going to play the Leo there in Seattle? Um, you know, it was really kind of a, an awkward pairing. It actually worked out for the best. Um, you know, Bruce Irvin's actually turned into a, a pretty solid pro, but it was one of those things that kind of caught you off guard. You know, they really, you know, focus on their need, and they really don't worry about what anybody else thinks. So they took Bruce Irvin, number 12 overall in, in 2012. Um, you know, you had Jermaine Effetti. Um, taking number 31 overall uh, in the 2016 draft. And then if you recall last year, Rashad Penny, number 27 uh, to the Seahawks there in 2018. Super surprising there that that actually took place. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens with, with Rashad Penny there in Seattle. Uh, but nobody really saw that one coming. And, and that's one of the things when you're looking at Seattle, you have to kind of think outside the box a little bit uh, if you want to try to project where they're going to go. Now, one of the things to keep in mind is, you know, it's the end of the Earl Thomas era in Seattle. And, and just to put that in perspective, since 2010, 
Earl Thomas has started in 125 games, racked up over uh, 680 tackles, 28 interceptions for 417 yards, two of which were returned for touchdown, 67 pass breakups, 11 forced fumbles, five recoveries, one of which was returned for a touchdown, all of those in a Seattle Seahawks uniform. Now he's on to Baltimore, meaning really the Legion of Boom, you know, in that whole era is, is done. Um, so Seattle has that huge hole to fill. Do they go lit, uh, a local product and Taylor Rapp out of Washington? Uh, do you go Jonathan Abram out of out of Mississippi State? Both of those guys very versatile, can play in the box, can line up and cover in the slot a little bit as well. I think with with the safeties in this draft, you could probably wait till the second day or possibly even day three and still get a quality safety that might be able to fill in as a you know be able to fill that void and uh, you know be able to start right away. So then what, where does Seattle look after that? Well, uh, you know, Doug Baldwin and his, his long-term health, there's a big question mark there. Um, you know, he battled injuries in 2018. Now he's having sports hernia surgery. And there's, there's talk that he's thinking about retiring. Even if he comes back, um, you know, I think there's going to be a need there at the receiver position. And I'll tell you why here in just a sec. If Baldwin does retire, though, you're going to have to replace 17.9% of your receptions from 2018. The only other receiver with over 50 receptions was Tyler Lockett with 70. So obviously there's a need there at the receiver position. And, you know, there are big bodied receivers everywhere. Um, but here's a guy that I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle, if they really wanted to go out on, on a limb uh, and take a receiver. How about Terry McLaurin? out of Ohio State. Fits the mold. Looks a lot like uh, like a Doug Baldwin, a guy who ran a 4-3-5 at the Combine. Excellent route runner. Really, a, you know, sinks his hips, getting in and out of, in and out of his breaks. That's really how he creates a separation. Um, it wouldn't shock me if Terry McLaurin is the pick here. But there's also the pass rush. Now, they need someone to team with Frank Clark. Um, you know, he received his franchise tag this offseason, um, so, you know, I, I really think you need to look there. They could also look corner, especially if Greedy Williams falls there. You know that Pete Carroll loves the bigger cornerback. Someone to team with Shaquille, uh, Shaquille Griffin. If not, there are some names there in, in day two and three that we'll get to in just a moment um, where I think Seattle can go. So I really do think that they address the pass rush. When you're talking about this pass rush, you've got, um, you know, Frank Clark and, and Jaron Reed. You know, and, and the two of them, uh, you know, Seattle finished 2018 with 43 sacks on the year, but the duo of Clark and Reed had half that output, registered 23 and a half sacks. No other player in a Seattle Seahawks uniform had more than three sacks on the year. What happens if Brian Burns falls to Seattle here at number 21? It could happen. He could still be on the board here. You know, he's very, you know, very well could be a top 15 pick because he is one of the elite pass rushers in this draft. What if he falls to 21? feels very reminiscent of bringing in a guy like like Bruce Irvin, a guy who you really thought was going to be um, you know, a, a stand-up rusher in a 3-4 scheme and uh, ends up in a 4-3. In a I never would have considered this with Brian Burns coming into uh, uh, 2018 in the 2018 season because Brian Burns had played at 218 pounds. And he came in this season weighing in at 235, still very undersized for the position. But then he shows up at the combine at 6'5", 249 pounds, basically 250, right around the same size as uh, as Bruce Irvin, although he is a couple of inches taller than Bruce. And what does Brian Burns do? 
runs a four five three forty and looked so explosive. If you haven't seen the the interception, you know, they were throwing the the, the balls to him and he, he extend full extension for this ball out in front of him along the sideline. Very athletic uh, for his size. You know, this is a guy who I think can play with his hand in the dirt at the next level. You know, and and he was one of the lone bright spots for Florida State a season ago. A very disappointing season for the Seminoles, but he had ten and a half sacks, fifteen and a half tackles for loss. And look, you know, he, he's so explosive coming off the edge. Um, that, that lack of size again, you know, had people questioning it, but now we know that he's he he can be he can still be athletic and still be explosive, even though he's put on some some extra pounds. So. What makes him so special? Well, you know, obviously it's that that explosive get off, so quick off the ball. He's beating guys to the corner just with that with that that quick first step. Um, you know, long strides as well because he is six foot five. But then the hip flexibility. You see him, you know, dipping that inside shoulder, getting under the the tackle's pad level, and then you know you hear a lot of people talking about ankle flexion. What in the world does that even mean? So you know, when you're talking about the flexibility, even with your ankles, being able to cut. If you're at a, if your body's at a 45 degree angle, it's a much sharper cut. You're able to really plant and, and turn the corner in a hurry. And you know, if you're more upright, obviously, you know, you're more susceptible to being blocked. And really, you're not covering a lot of ground. Whereas Brian Burns, especially because he's got pretty good length on him as well, um, you know, if you put him at 45 degrees, you know, at a 45 degree angle. That makes him just that much more explosive, uh, turning the corner. And then the hand usage. You'll see him with with a club, you know, club move, uh, you know, a rip to to get some clearance from from the the, the blocker. You'll see him slap and chop the hands down. Um, and then he's got a basketball background, so you see this tight spin move um, back inside after you know kind of an out and up uh, type of move, getting into the backfield. You know, to me, Brian Burns. You know, can he set the edge against the run? He is uh, 250 pounds now, so putting on that additional weight, that 15 pounds of muscle, um, I think that's going to make you know play huge into him being effective as a three down performer. If he can hold his ground at the point fight through those blocks, then the 21st overall pick can end up being a steal for Seattle. If not, then remember these names, Aaron Maben, Vernon Golston, Dion Jordan, very explosive players who just never panned out. You know, I think, you know, they, they just didn't translate to the next level. And that's a big concern that you, that I think you have to have with Brian Burns. Can he convert his game and really uh, excel at the next level? Uh, but I think Seattle could potentially end up getting a steal there. So no picks in round two for Seattle, but when we move on to round three, you know, I mentioned that they need a receiver, even if Doug Baldwin comes back. And how about JJ Arcega Whiteside? Um, you know, now JJ, here's the thing with him. You know, he's he's 6'2, 225 pounds, you know, looks like a big bodied receiver. And uh, you know, I think what was so frustrating for for the opposition playing him was, you know, teams could sit there and just throw the ball up to him. Um, you know, or KJ Costello would, and just allow him to dominate the guy that he's that he's going up against. You knew exactly what was coming, and you couldn't stop it. You knew that there was going to be a fade. You knew the ball was going to Brian Burns, and you knew that he was going. Or I'm sorry, that to JJ Arcega Whiteside, and there was no way to to defend it. You know, he. You see the basketball. We talk a lot about the basketball background, but it really translates because he would put the guy on his hip. 
and box him out, shield him away from the ball, and then go up and attack the football while it's in the air, much like you're going after a rebound. I mean, it was just remarkable to watch. And the thing with J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is, is he's not just a one-trick pony. He's not just a red zone guy. He can also separate down the field vertically. And some of the nuances, especially when he's going up um, with some of the 50-50 balls, just before he goes to elevate, he's got that, you know, extends that arm, gets a little bit of, of separation there very late, goes up and makes a play on the football. 63 receptions, uh, over 1,059 yards, and 14 touchdowns in his, I'm sorry, in his senior season there with uh, with the Stanford Cardinal, uh, but a 16 16.4 yard per catch average. You know, he's not just a guy who's going to be catching a lot of underneath things and just, uh, you know, um, the fades in the back of the end zone. He's a guy that can really stretch some defenses. Pete Carroll has the ties to the Pac-12, having coached USC. You, know, you can go up and down his roster and you see the Pac-12 influence there. And uh, I think JGR Sega Whiteside will be a nice addition to uh, um, to Seattle. They, they need a bigger receiver. I know that that's not necessarily in their, their game plan necessarily, but you know, I look at it for from from the standpoint of all right. You've got Tyler Lockett, you've got Doug Baldwin, smaller receivers. Get a bigger guy, and, and you know, really kind of changes the dynamic a little bit with that receiving core for Russell Will, uh, Russell Wilson. Moving on to day three, round four, Isaiah Johnson out of Houston. We're talking about the bigger corners. How about a guy who's 6'2", 208 pounds? Um, you know, Isaiah Johnson there makes a lot of sense to me. He just looks like a Pete Carroll and uh, John Schneider type um, defensive back. Um, just so long and, and athletic. And, and here's the thing with, with Isaiah Johnson is he's pretty new to the position. You know, He actually transitioned from wide receiver to corner uh, before his junior season. And in, in those two seasons, um, you know, essentially racking up, you know, over 100 tackles, uh, four interceptions, 12 pass breakups, and he just continues to learn uh, on the fly. I think the fourth round would be a nice area uh, for him to come off the board. I think that's nice value. And uh, I don't really think Isaiah Johnson is going to go off the board any sooner than that because of the fact that he's going to need some time to really develop. But he's a guy who can be a playmaker um, when it's all said and done. And I think Seattle, you know, it, it, he just fits the bill for a, a Seattle defensive back. So that makes a ton of sense there. So we've got Seattle out of the way. We're going to go ahead and take a look at the Baltimore Ravens next. They're number 22 on the board. And uh, man, you know, the Ravens are definitely going to look different. Uh, you know, Joe Flacco's gone. This is Lamar Jackson's team. Lamar Jackson, incredible rookie year. Um and you can see the, the, the promise that is there. Um, if you're trading away Joe Flacco, that means basically you're handing the keys of the franchise to uh, Lamar Jackson. So, But you lose edge rushers Terrell Suggs and Zedarius Smith in free agency. You lose safety Eric Weddle in free agency. You lose inside linebacker C.J. Mosley in, in, uh, in free agency. And then as well as receivers John Brown and, and Michael Crabtree. What do you do there? You know, obviously they brought in Earl Thomas. He's going to play the safety position, replacing Eric Weddle. Um, you know, Mark Ingram can really solidify things as a number one running back, you know, so that you don't necessarily have to run a running back by committee there uh, in Baltimore. With their top two edge rushers leaving, that leaves Matt Judon, um, you know, Tim Williams, Tyus Bowser as the remaining outside linebackers on the rust on the roster. If Brian Burns or Cleveland Furrow were to fall here, I think they would have to be the pick. 
Um, same goes with, with Devin Bush, if he were to fall here. Um, but there's no inside backer that's worthy of being, being selected here at number 22. So that kind of leaves the wide receiver position. Now, obviously with, with, uh, losing their vertical threat and John Brown, they lose the possession receiver, Michael Crabtree. Um, you know, the only player, um, to haul in over pat, you know, 50 passes a, a season ago, uh, Willie Sneed is really the only guy on the roster. Um, the other three wide receivers are, are Chris Moore. Jordan Lastly and Jaleel, or Jaleel Scott. Now Moore was the only one on the roster, you know, of that trio, I should say, um, to really see the action on the field. He caught just 19 passes, 196 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Jaleel Scott spent time on IR with a hamstring injury. Um, so needless to say, Lamar Jackson needs to get some weapons to throw the ball to if you know if they want him to build upon that impressive rookie campaign. Now. I really think that the Ravens are going to use more than one pick on, on a receiver to really shore up the receiving core, but uh, I think they're going to use this pick to go after one of my favorite players in the draft, and that's Akeem Butler uh, out of uh, Iowa State. 6'5", 227 pounds. The junior is just a big-bodied receiver who's a lot of fun to watch. You know, when you talk about Akeem Butler, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that uh, you know he does have a have a hard time with drops. You know, and I think a lot of that stems to the concentration because his hands are huge. This guy, you know, is said to be able to palm a helmet. You know, that's just unheard of. Um, so he's got huge hands. So I think it just comes down to some of his concentration. Um, you know, and th- what, what you think of when you hear Hakeem Butler's name, you think of the basketball skills uh, that you see out there on the court. Definitely a, a factor. He lost his mom to cancer at an early age, ultimately ended up uh, living with his cousins, who just happened to be Aaron and Andrew Harrison, who were the heralded Kentucky basketball recruits. So that basketball background really translated, showed it, you know, what he um, showcased when, you know, when he was on the field, really what, what that meant. Um, as a sophomore, you know, he played alongside Iowa State's all-time leading receiver and Alan Lazard, who's with the Jags now. Uh, still managed to haul in 41 passes for 697 yards and seven touchdowns, but really took the Big 12 by storm in 2018, taking over the number one wide receiver role, dominating defensive backs. That's really kind of the theme that you'll hear um, as I talk about Butler. Hauled in 60 passes, over 1,300 yards, nine touchdowns, and his 22-yard per catch average, well, that was third highest in the FBS, so a clear indicator of his big play ability. Um you know, one of the things that, that he's able to do really does a good job using his big body to shield uh, defenders from the ball, you know, boxing those guys out, uh, impressive leaping ability. And, uh, you know, he's, he's got some long arms, over 35-inch arms uh, to really extend for the football, attacking it in the air. Um, but, uh, look, you know, Butler, I think we were surprised. He was 6'5", 227 pounds. What's he going to do at the combine? Ran a 4'4", 940. Um, so the vertical speed is legit. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that he struggles is getting, sinking his hips in and out of his routes. You know, I, I think that's one of the things that he's going to have to work on, polish that up a little bit. Um, I, I think really getting to get those hips down and not really take so many of those choppy steps getting in and out of his cuts. Um, but man, you want to talk about physical after the catch, you know, if you watched Big 12 football, virtually every game, Hakeem Butler was having at least one big game, and or one big play, I should say. And uh, let's kind of just break this down just a little bit, talk about a, a few of these games. So against Oklahoma, two receptions over 50 yards, 
four OU missed tackles. So the first one was a 51-yard touchdown. Uh, Butler made a catch up the seam on a skinny post for 20 yards, shrugged off safety Khalil Houghton before running through Trey Norwood, the corner, ran through his tackle at the 10-yard line, spinning out of linebacker Curtis Bolton's tackle to take it to the house. Later, runs a vertical route on Parnell Motley, the other corner, able to adjust to the back shoulder fade outside the numbers, avoided Motley's tackle, accelerated down the field for another 35 yards uh, en route to a 57-yard touchdown. Against Oklahoma State, you know, he shows off the vertical, you know, the, I'm sorry, the the leaping ability, high-pointing a football, then able to drag the defender after the catch on a 21-yard touchdown. And then, man, the Kansas game. Whew. Man, that was fun to watch. Just abusing the the Jayhawk uh, defensive backs with the two TD catches. So the first one, 83-yard touchdown, lined up in the slot, uh, beat his man inside on post, um, you know, reach into to haul haul in the pass on his back hip, shrugged off the safety tackle and accelerated away, really showing that long speed, the long strides, ate up a ton of yardage, and uh, he was gone. So later in the first round, lines up in, in the slot again, ran a seam route. Uh, ball underthrown, comes back for the football, elevates over the safety, Hassan defense. And, uh, you know, his waist was really at, at defense's um, helmet at the catch point. So he hauls it in with his left hand, takes his right hand and stiff arms defense and really just throws him away. Um, and just the physicality was just ridiculous. Ends up, you know, running the final 16 yards for his 51-yard touchdown physicality is insane. You also see it as a blocker on the outside, manhandling defensive backs to uh, spring his back. Uh, David Montgomery's for some more yards or also the receiving core. Uh, I think he'd be a great addition there for Baltimore. He just needs to work on those hands, get him in front of a jugs machine and, and really build that chemistry with Lamar Jackson. But you know, the big play potential is absolutely there. So the Ravens, where are they going to go after that? On day two, well, they don't have a, a second-round pick, but they do have a third-round pick. And really, in, in round number three, I think they end up going to, to the center position. Matt Skura um, has been one of the guys that's played, you know, I, I think the, the most snaps over the last two years of any offensive lineman for, for Baltimore, and if not, it's pretty close. Um, but I, I think they can they can do for an upgrade. And uh, Lamont uh, Gilliard there for Georgia, 6'3", 305 pounds. You know, this the center is he's he's basically a wrestler there in inside, just a little little fire plug, uh, a guy who's very physical at the point of attack, uses his hands very well, can anchor. I think that'd be a nice fit for them at the center position. And then we're looking at round four, day three. What are what, what's Baltimore gonna do? Um, you know, they've got two picks. So at 114, the Ravens take John Kaminsky, the defensive end out of Charleston. 6'5", 286 pounds. Uh, you, you look at what Baltimore has there uh, at the defensive end position. They got Chris Wormley, Zach Seiler are their, their starters um, at defensive end. And I, I think John Kaminsky he ran a 4'6", 40 at the combine. Very explosive for a guy his size. He just screams five technique. And uh, I think that'd be good value for Baltimore there in round number four. And then fast forward just a few more picks to 124th overall. They get their inside linebacker to replace C.J. Mosley and David Long out of West Virginia. Uh, 5'11", 227 pounds. The junior, a, a guy who really put everything together um, in his junior season, I thought that he he was making plays all over the field, um, over 100 tackles um, on the year, and 
let's see, yeah, 108 tackles, nine and a half, or 19 and a half tackles for loss, seven sacks, so he knows how to get to the quarterback, uh, 10 pass breakups in the last two seasons for the Mountaineers as well. So a guy who is versatile, I think he can be a three-down backer for them. Um, he's undersized, but you know he, he's somebody who I think can definitely drop back and, and, and cover a little bit as well. So you know there's nothing wrong with, with being a little under, undersized if you're able to uh, move around like he does. Houston, 23 overall. Well, here's the deal with with Houston. You know, I, I think after an 0-3 start, they finished the season 11-3, um, you know, including a nine-game win streak from week four through through week 15, or I'm sorry, week 13. Um, you know, Deshaun Watson finished over 40 with over 4,100 yards passing, completing nearly 69% of his passes. Uh, you know, Nuke Hopkins was dominant as always, 115 receptions, over 1,500 yards. Um, but here's the deal. Deshaun Watson was sacked 62 times, hit 126 times, more than any other quarterback, took so many hits that he had to play through a bruised lung and injured ribs. So Houston, you got to keep your quarterback, got to keep your investment upright. You really have to take care of him, take care of this offensive line. Uh, Chantrell Henderson, the right tackle, he was re-signed to a one-year deal, but he battled injuries last season, have to prove that he can stay healthy and stay on the field. Left tackle Julian Davenport, been slow to develop as a starter. So that instability at the offensive tackle position is the reason why they took a chance on Matt Khalil, the former top 10 pick out of USC, was released by Carolina. Um, really just a low-risk, high-reward here. Um, and you know he's someone that... You know, I think struggled mightily over the last couple of years, you know, definitely battling some injuries. So we'll see what he can do there in Houston, if he can actually play and, and get onto the field. Uh, then there's left guard, uh, Senio Calamante, uh, inconsistent to, to say the least so much so that he may end up being released. Um, you know, to, to say that uh, the offensive line still a, a problem will be an understatement. Now, I think that Andre Dillard would be a nice get at offensive tackle for them, but Cody Ford out of Oklahoma, 6'4", 329 pounds, the junior, has the versatility to play both guard and tackle, and uh, I think he's someone who can come in and, and replace uh, Calamante um, there at left guard, and then depending on what happens at the tackle position, he may end up moving outside, likely to the right side. I don't see think he has the foot speed required uh, to be a left tackle, but I think he can absolutely be a right tackle at the next level. So when you're talking about Cody Ford, um, you know what you think of him is that mean streak. He's going to bring some nastiness to the, to the position that's going to help change the mentality up front for Houston. They absolutely need that. Um, you know, so Ford, he was a starter his freshman season at left guard for three seasons before, or I'm sorry, three games before he broke his leg against Ohio State, knocked him out for the rest of the year. Was a reserve guard, um, you know, but did get to start four games for Ben Powers and went down to injury uh, in 2017. But then Bobby Evans had to move to the left side to replace, uh, you know, Zeus Jr. Orlando Brown Jr. who who moved on to the. Uh, to the NFL. So that opened up a starting spot there at the right tackle position and, and Cody Ford stepped right in. Now Cody Ford, when you watch him, you know, he's a guy who wants to, to dominate you at the point of attack, a guy who's going to maul you to death. Um, when I think of Cody Ford, I think of a guy like Brandon Sheriff out of Iowa. Uh, you played tackle for the Hawkeyes and, and really, you know, is thriving at, inside a guard. Uh, but a guy who played with that mean streak and really just wanted to, to dominate you at the point of attack has very heavy hands, 
um, uses that to jolt those defenders, get them off balance, and then that that leg drive. You know, you you talk about having that big bubble butt. This is a guy who absolutely has that. He can, but he can get down. He has enough hip flexibility to get down and really drive into that guy. You see that pop there uh, at the point of attack and really drives through guys. Um, you know, and I talked about the foot speed. You know, because he can, he's someone who could definitely square up his man, sit down in a stance and anchor against the bull rush. He only gave up one sack on 441 pass snaps, according to Pro Football Focus. So, you know, really the biggest thing is, is yes, he does struggle with his feet against the speed rushers, will overset at times, it leaves him susceptible to those inside moves. But at the same time, this is someone who showed that he could recover, uh, showed that he, he's very physical at the point of attack. And, uh, you know, he was also having to block for Kyle, Kyler Murray. Now, look, yes, he was playing with a with an offensive line that uh, won the Joe Moore Award for the best uh, offensive line. And, uh, you know, coincidentally, you know, OU also brought in the largest trophy, uh, postseason trophy there. That thing is huge. Um, but, you know, Cody Ford blocking for Kyler Murray and before that Baker Mayfield um, you know, really understands what it's like to play you know play in front of a uh, a mobile quarterback so if Deshaun Watson is going to be getting out extending plays with his legs you know possibly getting outside the pocket even taking off and running with it he understands how to block for a quarterback like that so I think it'd be a great fit for Houston there at number 23 overall they've got two picks in the second round and uh, you know they're back-to-back picks. So Houston can take a little bit of time to really figure out what they want to do. Um, they're at the beginning of day th- day two. But uh, David Montgomery out of Iowa State, uh, the first of the two picks, 54 overall. They got the pick from Seattle. And uh, Montgomery, 5'10", 222 pounds, a junior. Um, you know, clips a 1,000-yard mark for the f- uh, third time in his career. I'm sorry, that was Lamar Lamar Miller. Uh, getting ahead of myself here, you know. So, you know, David Montgomery, you know, four six three forty at the combine. Um, he, he's considered a, you know, not really considered a burner. He's quicker than he is fast, um, but his game translates to the next level because of his vision, his lateral agility, and his contact balance. Now, the vision, you know, uh, he sees those cutback lanes, especially when he presses presses the line of scrimmage, uh, and just when the defense thinks that he's bottled up on one side of the field, he'll see an opening, put his foot in the ground, and run to daylight. Uh, very quick feet allows him to shake defenders in the open field. The lateral cuts are are really just what's what is his game. That's his his uh his calling card, if you will. You know, they're so sudden and they take place in such a short area that he can make multiple defenders miss on one play. And then in the contact balance, when it comes to breaking tackles, there's nobody better in college football. According to Pro Football Focus, David Montgomery finished the 2017 season with 104 broken tackles. Now, to give you an idea of what that means, the previous leaders, Dalvin Cook with 89 in 2016, Leonard Fournette with 84 in 2015, and Kareem Hunt with 84 in 2016. So according to Pro Football Focus, David Montgomery broken more tackles than anybody since they've been keeping track of that stat. The, the, the balance to absorb that contact, keep the legs churning, and always seems to fall forward. Also has incredible hands as well. 71 receptions in his career uh, there for the Cyclones. Now, Houston, why would they go running back here? Well, Lamar Miller, you know, I, again, got ahead of myself here. He, he finished 2018 with 973 yards on the ground, would have eclipsed the 1,000-yard mark for the third time in his career had he not missed two games with an ankle injury. Um but Alfred Blue's a free agent, meaning Deontay Foreman managed just seven carries a season ago as his primary backup. You get another running back in that rotation, and I think David Montgomery would be a nice fit here. 
55 overall. How about a receiver there for, for Houston? You know, you think about Houston, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, one of the best wide receivers in the game. Will Fuller's the team's vertical threat. And Kiki QT, a uh, solid rookie season um, as a weapon in the slot. But, you know, Demaria, Demarius Thomas was released following the, uh, the the guilty plea for the careless driving. Um, ultimately, one of his passengers was injured when he flipped his vehicle, traveling twice the posted speed limit. His departure leaves DeAndre Carter and Vincent Smith, who combined for just 25 catches last year, as the only receivers with receptions in 2018 out, outside of the, the three that I mentioned before. So adding another receiver will give Deshaun Watson a much-needed weapon in the passing game. And uh, I've mentioned him before, Terry McLaurin out of Ohio State. He reminds me a lot of DJ Moore a bit from, from last season. You know, the production didn't quite match Moore's due to the depth at the wide receiver position. You know, when you're thinking about that, you've got Paris Campbell, you've got K.J. Hill, uh, you've got Johnny Dixon, Benjamin Victor, and uh, Austin Mack as well, and... All those guys hauled in at least 20 passes in 2018. This guy still, you know, had, had 35 uh, receptions for 701 yards. That's a 20-yard average and uh, 11 touchdowns. So, you know, he was still able to get the job done. You know, I think he's physical at the top of his route to create further separation. But, you know, the, the technique with his route running, I think he doesn't really even need to be physical if he doesn't have to because he's usually leaving the guy in the dust. Um, able to open those hips up and, and accelerate away from the defender. But, um, you know, Sports Info Solutions reported that McLaurin's explosive catch rate you know, or the number of 20-plus yard receptions per target was 23.1% which is good for 10th overall among the wideouts. And then Roto World reported that McLaurin's 14.3 yards per target average is the highest among wide receivers and is 22.4% touchdown rate, which is 11 touchdowns on 49 targets, was second in the country. Virtually uncoverable at the Senior Bowl as well, reminiscent of, of Cooper Cup in that respect. You know, Cooper Cup was the one that actually lacked some top-end speed but knew how to get open. McLaurin, um, you know, I, I think for him... He has more of that explosiveness and still understands the route running capability. I think he's an ascending prospect, could end up getting drafted even higher than 55, but I think Houston, um, you know, behoove them to to jump on that if they can. Moving on to round number three, and uh, Houston, number 87 overall, takes Justin Holland, 6'5", 248 pounds, the outside linebacker out of Oregon. And this is a guy that does a little bit of everything. Just a guy who fills up the stat sheets. Excellent length for the position as well. Um, but uh, let's see. When you look at his career for the Ducks, 184 tackles, 36 tackles for loss, 14 sacks, 2 interceptions, 8 pass breakups, 7 forced fumbles. You know, this is a guy who knows how to make plays on the football. Um, you know, one of the guys that dominated the East-West Shrine game. Uh, to me, he's a lot of fun to watch. And when you look at Houston and what they have there at uh, at the linebacker position, I've got Whitney Merciless. Is Jadavion Clowney going to play the jack position? Is he going to play at defensive end? Really not sure. Uh, there's Duke Edgeofor that's potentially playing the jack. You know, they need some depth there at the uh, outside linebacker position. And I think that, uh, you know, this would be a nice fit for, for Justin Hollins. So that takes care of Houston. So when we're talking about, you know, the Raiders, they were, you know, number 20, uh, 24 overall, which then means we move on to Philadelphia. The Eagles, just a couple of years removed from winning 
it all. Uh, Super Bowl 52. Um, but here's here's the deal with, with Philly. You know, we, we, a lot of people talk about defensive tackle with this pick. I'll show you why they don't need to go defensive tackle in round number one. You got Carson Wentz. He went down to an ACL tear in, you know, um, two years ago. And then last year, uh, a back injury knocks him out. So, you know, Nick Foles was there to lead two playoff runs. Guess what? Nick Foles isn't there to save you now. He's in Jacksonville. So those the, the free agency move there means Philly has to ensure that he keeps his franchise quarterback healthy. Seem, sounds like a, a common theme here, right? So where did they go here at, at number 25? Well, um, they need to find a, a replacement eventually for, for Jason Peters. You know, Peters did sign a one-year deal. Um, you know, due to be back for another year, but, you know, 37 years of age, this could be his final season. And his backup, you know, Halapuli uh, Vadi Vaitai, you know, he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season, proven he can't be a full-time replacement. Um, now is the time to find the successor for Peters. And I look at Greg Little, and he has prototypical size and length that you look for in a left tackle. Highly touted high school recruit coming to Ole Miss, started five games as a freshman, really taking over that left tackle spot and started the final 24 games in his career with the Rebels. You know, Little, uh, again, 6'5", 310 pounds. Uh, the, the junior, very, very fluid with his movements, uh, good hip, hip flexibility, natural knee bender, um, you know, allows him to keep that low pad level, gets good depth with his kick slide, very effortless lateral quickness or lateral movement, the quickness there to easily cut the edge off of the defensive end, using good hand placement as well, very aware of the blitz, showing an ability to slide inside, to pick up that linebacker, trying to shoot the gap. Um, and really, I think maybe his most impressive film was really head-to-head against Bama uh, defensive lineman Raekwon Davis. Everyone thought at the beginning of the season Raekwon Davis was going to be in this draft. He's ultimately coming back, struggled, didn't have the, the, the type of year that he wanted. Little just proved to be way too quick for Davis, you know, showing that foot speed to beat him to the edge, offer the physicality to drive him to the ground as well. Needs that better anchor, gets driven back quite a bit on a strong bull rush, overextends at times, so balance is also an issue uh, as his body control. But I think Greg Little can learn from, from Jason Peters and then be able to take over for him once Jason Peters calls it a career. So I think that's really what Philly's going to do there in round number one. But what do they do in round number two? Well, they've got a couple of picks. So, um, you know, obviously there are a couple of different directions that they're going to go. The first one, they number 53 overall, they get from Baltimore. Here's a name, Jeffrey Simmons. This defensive tackle, 6'4", 301 pounds, the junior. I've got him in my top five, you know, in terms of the defensive tackle talents. Why is he all the way down to number 53? Well, here's the thing. You know, he was expected, uh, like I said, to be that top 15 pick, but he tore his ACL in a pre-combine workout. Now, when you think of guys who have torn torn their knees, uh, you know, Miles Jack was one, ended up falling to the round number two. Jalen Smith was another. A first-round pick fell to round number two. I think that's probably what's going to happen here for Jeffrey Simmons. But then you also factor in the off-field incident. As a Mississippi State recruit, he ends up uh, getting himself into some trouble. You know, in fact, he pled no contest, a simple assault, striking a woman multiple times while he was the recruit. Um, you know, you've got that red flag there. Yes, he was a model student after that, but look at what happened with Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon punches that that female at the at the restaurant there in in Norman. 
Um, and OU suspends him for the year. Mississippi State did not suspend Jeffrey Simmons. But, Joe, you know, Joe Mixon falls to round number two. So what happens with Jeffrey Simmons? You know, how far does he fall? You know, I, I think with Philly, what you look at, I think this might be the perfect scenario for him because he may not play in, at all in 2019 because of that knee injury. Fletcher Cox, you got your Pro Bowl defensive tackle. Malik Jackson comes in as a free agent to take over uh, the other starting spot. And then there's Timmy Jernigan. You know, Timmy is still on the roster, um, but he had a non-football injury in, in March of 2018, um, caused a, a herniated disc in his back, uh, forcing him out of action until November of 2018. Now, his contract was reworked to have all three remaining years of his contract be option years with no guaranteed money. So depending on how his future plays out, you know, Philly's going to need an insurance policy there at defensive tackle, especially now that Heloti Nata has retired from the game. And if you haven't seen it, check out social media. He retires from on top of Mount Kilimanjaro. It's pretty freaking cool. Um, but when you talk about Jeffrey Simmons, final two seasons with the Bulldogs, no doubt that this guy has the talent to be a you know a, a game wrecker uh, at the next level. 123 tackles, 30 tackles for loss, seven sacks, five pass breakups, three forced fumbles, just really wreaking havoc inside while Montez Sweat was attacking the outside. I think it'd be a great fit there for Philly. Again, won't be able to start uh, playing more than likely in 2019. So you're kind of getting that that first year out of the way kind of the same thing with with uh, Jalen Smith there uh, coming from Notre Dame that horrific knee injury in the bowl game um, but uh, I think this would be excellent value if, if they're able to pull that off and get him there in round number two now Philly we, we talked about helping out Carson Wentz keeping him upright and uh, I, I look at the guard position Michael Dieter 6'4 309 pounds out of Wisconsin um, you know when we talk about taking a guard um, you know, it looks like they're set up front, right? They've got center Jason Kelsey, uh, left guard Isaac Somalo. They signed extensions, and and right guard Brandon Brooks is under contract contract through 2020. But look, Brooks tore his Achilles in the NC, NFC, um, you know, in the playoffs, so he's likely to miss a portion of the 2019 season, and there isn't any depth behind him. You know, I know from experience that an Achilles injury is no joke, and and you know you're going to struggle to come back. Uh, very quickly, you know, I'm a little over three months out and, uh, you know, I'm still, you know, uh, having a struggle, you know, kind of getting up on my toes, you know, my, my right foot where I, I tore my right Achilles, um, it's about halfway from my, you know, the, the flexibility there on, you know, from my left foot when I get up on my toes. So any explosive movements, you know, that's something that he's going to really have, you know, struggle with. So you have to have that insurance policy and, and Michael Dieter is a guy who's played, just about every position there for, for the Badgers. School record, 54 games as a starter. Um, started his career, splitting time between center and left guard for two seasons. Then became the left tackle as a junior, and then went back to left guard for a senior season. So if you're doing the math at home, there's 24 games at left guard, 16 at center, and 14 at left tackle for the total of 54 starts. So that versatility obviously is a plus for, for Philly. Uh, they can plug him in in a number of different positions. Very physical at the point of attack, looking to overpower guys. You know, he struggled when he was out there at left tackle um, you know, with, with the speed. But you, know, you saw the down blocks creating a lot of space with a powerful leg drive. Uh, looks to really control his man. You know, he can anchor very well. Um, you know, that, that lateral movement is kind of limited when you're there at the guard position. And I think Dieter would be a nice pick for Philly there. Um, in the middle of day two. So, no round three pick for Philly. 
So we move on to round number four. And again, Philly is sitting there with, with two picks in round number four. The first one, how about we go defensive end? You know, Jordan Brailford, 6'3", 252 pounds, out of Oklahoma State, the junior. And you talk about the ends. Wait a minute. You've got Derek Barnett over there. Brandon Graham was just re-signed. You know, Vinny Curry was just signed to a one-year deal. Chris Long, um, not really sure what his long-term plans are going to be. Josh Sweat is somebody who's going to be developing. So I I think when you look at at the position, they're going to need to find somebody that's going to be able to step in, um, you know, especially if if Vinny Curry and Chris Long are not in the long-term plans. Um, You know, and... Jordan Brailford, look, you know, 6'3", 252 pounds. Again, um, you know, 17 and a half tackles for loss, 10 sacks this season. Uh, a guy who's also very powerful at the point of attack and set a, a really strong edge. Um, and that's something that I thought was very impressive. Um, ran a 4'6", 540 at the combine, thir- uh, combine 37 and a half vertical leap. Um, for a guy his size is pretty impressive as well. Um, so I think he'd be a nice pick there in round four. Um, and then Philly at the end of, of round number four, number 139 overall, one of the compensatory picks. How about Ben Burke-Curvin, the inside linebacker out of Washington? Very undersized, six foot, 230 pounds, but this guy was a tackling machine, 176 tackles as a senior. I mean, that's just mind-boggling just how many tackles that, that truly is. Um, but you look at the, the inside linebacker position, and I, I think that's where they're going to need some help. Um, right now, they've got LJ Fort, you know, uh, in from from Pittsburgh to to man the middle there. Um, you know, Jordan Hicks has moved on uh, to Arizona, so they're going to need some competition there at the middle linebacker position. And look, teams like to throw the ball. You know, we're we're talking about more of a spread style offense there, and a lot of the a lot of the teams are going towards. And you're going to need someone who can be a three-down linebacker. And Ben Burkirvin is a guy who has exceptional range. Yes, he's undersized, but he just flies around to the football and just makes plays. Such a sure tackler. Um, you know, see ball, fine ball. You know, just that that diagnosis, exceptional. Four, five, six, forty. So when you're talking about a forty time, you know, the the linebacker position. Um, you know, I, I thought that was was exceptional as well. Um, you know that set him let's see he was number six overall uh in terms of the linebackers there with that with that speed uh covers a lot of ground sideline to sideline um really a fun player to watch there for for washington um and i think he'd be a nice pick coming there at the end of round number four so that moves us along from philly to indy indianapolis the colts frank reich really putting together an impressive rookie campaign in, in 2018 look didn't start off all that great. One and five record to begin the year. Wound up rattling off nine wins in their final ten games. Became eligible for the playoffs. And really, you know, Andrew Luck, the NFL's comeback player of the year, was awesome. You know, his health was in serious doubt leading up to the start of the year. But man, was he fun to watch. So, you know, I think he needs to get some additional weapons out there as well. You know, you look at T.Y. Hilton, Eric Ebron, the two of them combined for 142 receptions, over 2,000 yards and 19 touchdowns. They're followed by Naeem Hines, who himself, you know, was a former receiver, uh, showed off those receiving skills out of the backfield, 63 receptions six, uh, for 425 yards and a pair of scores. After that, you had a foursome. Chester Rogers, Ryan Grant, Dontrell Inman, Zach Paschal. 143 receptions, 1,400 yards, eight touchdowns. So all you know, all of those guys were free agents. 
um, you know, and, and with Grant and Inman being unrestricted. But Deion Kane, you also have to factor in, suffered a 20 ACL in August, sat out the 2018 season, so he's going to need to be factored into the Colts offensively as well. Then there's Devin Funches, big wide receiver. Um, you know, they're in free agency. So I, I think, you know, adding Devin Funches eliminates any of those bigger receivers like Nikhil Harry, um, you know, Kelvin Harmon, guys like that. But what they still need, I feel, is a guy that's going to line up in the slot and take some of that pressure off of T.Y. Hilton on the outside. Someone who could be an exceptional slot receiver. Who could that be? Now, look, Marquise Brown. You know, I think he falls into round two because of that Liz Frank injury. Debo Samuel also has some durability concerns. Paris Campbell lit up the combine, 4 3 one but I think his his ceiling's more of being a, a Curtis Samuel type. Um, makes him a day two receiver. I think at the end of the day, A.J. Brown is a rising is just rising up the, bra- the draft boards, proving to be a much more polished wide receiver than everyone's giving him credit for. This was a guy who was able to line up in the slot, stretch defenses vertically, excellent route runner as well, very physical at the top of his route, uh, the body control along the sideline, the strength and toughness to be a weapon over the middle, uh, nearly 3,000 yards uh, in his uh, career there for the Rebels, 189 receptions and uh, 19 touchdowns in those three seasons. Speed was a concern heading into the combine, but he proved those doubters wrong. Ran a 4-4-9-40. To me, that solidifies him as a first-round receiver, and I think this would be a great pickup for them. Um, you know, and, and the explosiveness, man, he, he jumped 36 and a half inches. You know, a vertical leap. He's six foot, 226 pounds. One of the the bigger receivers. When you talk about that as well, um, and an exceptional blocker. I thought all the block, all the receivers there for for the Rebels uh, were excellent blockers there on the outside. So I, I think you know that, that running game with with Marlon Mack um, and then blocking for the receivers on the outside. I think AJ Brown. That'd be a nice pick for Indy there at the end of round number one. So you move on to day two. And in the second round, when you're talking about the Colts, they need a safety, you know, in my book. You know, you look at Malik Hooker, solid 2018 campaign. Yes, Clayton Gathers and Matthias Farley are there, but I think they add depth for the position. I think Matt Eberflus is looking for that versatile defender on the back end that he can use in a variety of ways to really create some mismatches. Jonathan Abram, unquestioned leader of that Bulldog secondary since arriving on campus in Starkville as a JUCO transfer, um, he's a, a big hitter, like a heat-seeking missile coming downhill. Uh, the physical presence makes receivers think twice when they're coming into his area. Um, you know, he, he played quite a bit in the box as an extra linebacker, uh, showed that he could cover a little bit in the nickel as well. Very decisive against the run, plays sideline to sideline, showing excellent pursuit, pursuit skills, um, and really is a sure open field tackler as well. Now, one of the things that he struggles with is his range over the top, um, you know, really arriving a step slow and, and really the lack of anticipation in his ball skills needs some work. But look, Indy doesn't need him to do that when they've got Mark, Mark, uh, Malik Hooker who excels in that area. You've got him on the back end as your, your single high safety. You bring Jonathan Abram, you play him in the box, and uh, you know, and Matt Eberflus can kind of move him around a little bit. I think the Colts would love to take him here in round two uh, at the top there at number 34 overall because – you know, Jonathan Abram could very well end up being a first-round pick when it's all said and done. 59 overall. So the Colts, you know, they, they received some really good secondary play, especially from their corners. You know, Kenny Moore, encore performance, you know, following the breakout 2017 season. And then Pierre Desir has his own breakout season in 2018, ended up getting a new contract because of it. Now, Quincy Wilson, he also played well down the stretch, but you can never have... 
you know, too many good cornerbacks on the roster. And I look at Dr- Justin Lane, ascending prospect as well, uh, still new to the defensive side of the football, likely going to need a year of seasoning before he can really make a big impact. You know, came to Michigan State as a receiver, but moved to corner during his freshman season. Breakout season was 2018. Uh, 72 tackles, 15 pass breakups, and an interception. Excellent length for the position. Um, you know, has the type of route recognition that puts himself in a in a position to make a play on the ball on the football. Has ball skills of a receiver. Um, I think he could be a major player in 2020. Give him a year of seasoning, and uh, you know, he's someone who keeps moving up the draft board. Um, and, and I think getting him at the end of round two, um, you know, I think that would bode well for them if they're looking at their long term future. So, Indy, moving on to day number, th- or I'm sorry, it's still day two, but it's the third round. And uh, let's see, where are the Colts here? Got to, let's, there they are. Number 90 overall. Is that right? Yeah. So, number 90 overall. So, when you look at the defensive tackle position and, and what they have, um, you know, Marcus Hunt, you know, really a big physical guy, um, as is Danico Autry. You know, and that's something when you, when you talk about the Colts, they're going to need a guy who can get after the passer, who ha- who can really start pushing the pocket a little bit. And I look at Gerald Willis, and I think he can be that guy. Um, you know, Gerald Willis only one year at um, um, Miami. You know, with the Hurricanes, and I thought that he really showcased his his ability there in that one year. Uh, a guy who has such an explosive get off. You know, shooting gaps, you know, excellent hand usage as well. Uh, tremendous burst getting up the field to sh- uh, penetrate into the backfield. Uh, 59 tackles, definitely athletic and uh, and active for a defensive tackle. 18 tackles for loss, four sacks, so he does have some of that ability to rush the passer from the inside. Colts get their interior pass rusher there um, towards the end of day two. And I think that they end up going defensive tackle again. In round four, number 130 overall, they get Dalen Mack out of Texas A&M. 6'1", 336 pounds. You know, you want to talk about a guy who dominated opponents uh, in one-on-one drills at the Senior Bowl. This is a guy who's just so physical at the point of attack. A guy who um, has a pretty decent get-off and just explodes into guys. And, you know, just so physical. You know, I, I think of a guy, uh, Puna Ford is a guy that comes to mind. I, I can't believe that he wasn't drafted. I actually had him, um, I believe it was my number 10 defensive tackle. And uh, Puna Ford you know, is, is wreaking havoc for Seattle. I look at Dalen Mack, you know, and you know, 10 tackles for loss, five and a half sacks, a guy who can push push the pocket, collapses it from the inside, has a decent burst, knows how to convert that speed to power, and uh, really that power is just ridiculous. Um, so physical, and uh, a, a guy who I think would be um, a, a great addition there on, on the inside. Ran a 5-140 at six foot. Uh, one and 336 pounds. I mean, just ridiculous what he was able to do. Very strong as well. 30 reps, uh, 225 in the bench press. So uh, Dalen Mack, I think great value there um, in round number four. And then the Colts with a compensatory pick, number 136 overall. I'm taking Jamel Dean, a corner there out of out of Auburn. You know, why am I taking another cornerback? You know, I, I think it's one of those things to where – 
you know, you solidify that at secondary, you get, you know, their, your fifth, fifth cornerback and, uh, you know, it gives you some flexibility there on the back end of that defense. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's really what, what the Colts need to make sure that they're paying attention to. And, uh, you know, I, I think Jamel Dean really helped himself at the combine, just, you know, blazing, blazing the trail out there, uh, with his, his four, three forty, um, you know, 41 inch vertical leap, a guy who I think everybody had to rush back and watch more game film on and uh, could end up moving his way into uh, day number two, but I think he'd be a nice fit there um, You know, at, at the beginning of day number three. Excellent value if, if he falls that far. And uh, you know, the Colts, like I said, they've, they've got uh, some really good play out of their cornerbacks um, over the last couple of years, but... Um, you know, like I said, the old adage is you can never have enough enough corners, um, and, and I think that's true, especially with this game. Um, you know, the way that it's changed, and uh, you know, it, you have to hope that all the corners build upon the season that they, that they had last year, and uh, you know, that's something that they're really going to have to kind of wait and see. You know, are these guys really going to be able to uh, to shine like they did last year? Um, you know, Kenny Moore is a free agent, so you do uh, at the end of the season. So you do have to think about that. As is Jalen Collins, another court reserve corner on the roster. Um, so there are some some guys that you have to have to really consider. Is Nate Hairston going to be in their long term plans? Uh, so that's that's something that I think that Indy's going to have to start thinking about just a little bit. Is long term, can they bring in Kenny Moore, or can you bring in a couple of of rookies? Um, and, and ultimately fill that void there um, through the draft. So Indy down. We're going to L.A., the Rams. Just kidding. The Chargers. Yes, there's more than one team in L.A. The Chargers moved up from, from San Diego, their, their first season there um, in L.A., and uh, they were one of the most dangerous teams in the NFL in 2018 after a one and two start, um, you know, strung together winning streaks of, of six and four, uh, six games and then four games to finish 12 and four on the year. Phillip Rivers, just absolutely awesome um, yet again. But LA's offensive line, man, they, they gave up pressures on 31.8% of their passes, according to pro football focus. Um, and, and right guard, right tackle, Sam Tevy really struggled, uh, proved to be a, a good run blocker, but he struggled in pass protection. Now pro football focus indicated that Tevy gave up 41 hurries, 12 hits and eight sacks on 483 pass block snaps, overall pass blocking, uh, efficiency score of 92.9 was third worst in the NFL. They need to get another right tackle. And I think, you know, you can't wait until round number two, you got to go round one. And you look at all these tackles that have gone off the board. Dalton Reisner sitting there, very efficient at Kansas State. Um, you know, I thought he held up well in pass protection at the Senior Bowl. Uh, showed very good lateral lateral quickness and hand usage. Um, you know, and he's someone to me. I look at Cody Whitehair, you know, a fellow K State alum, and uh, you know was able to kick inside, and that's really what I was expecting Dalton, uh, you know, Reisner to do. Um, but he showed that he could hold up at right tackle at the senior bowl, which I think bodes well for his versatility. And if you're still not convinced then go back and watch the tape K state week two matchup against Mississippi state. Now, while the wildcats did lose 31 to 10, 
Um, you know, Reisner had several several reps against the more athletic Sweat, more than held his own, showed his ability to use his angles and body control, ultimately square up Sweat, use that strength and, and solid base to anchor and hold his ground. I think Sweat really only beat Reisner when the quarterback Skylar Thompson and, and Alex Delton really scrambled into the pass rush. I think he could start right away, be an immediate upgrade over Tevi, and uh, you know keep uh, you know their quarterback, their franchise. Philip Rivers, you know, keep him upright a little bit. I think that's something that makes a ton of sense there for for the Chargers. Let's see. Show that they actually do have a second round pick. I don't know why I don't have them with the second round pick, but I do have them taking a receiver. And uh, at number 92 overall, and that's Anthony Johnson, the the receiver out of Buffalo, 6'2", 209 pounds. Really, the big question mark was how fast was was Johnson going to run? And uh, I think he silenced any of the doubters there. Um, Not just a possession guy, ran a 4.540, and uh, I think that really helped his draft stock. He didn't run at the Combine, but uh, did run in his pro day there for Buffalo with the Bulls. And uh, man, when he was completely healthy in 2017, as a junior, 76 receptions, over 1,300 yards, 14 touchdowns on the year. Now he struggled a little bit with, with a hamstring injury, but still managed to produce you know, 57 catches, um, over 1,000 yards, and 11 touchdowns, 17.8 yards per reception. Uh, really a guy you know, with Tyrell Williams um, out, I think adding Anthony Johnson is going to be a nice pickup there for the Chargers. And then, you know, you look at at round number, you know, this could be round three, potentially round four. Um, Joan Williams, 6'4", 211 pounds, the cornerback out of Vanderbilt. Um, you know, a big bodied corner um, with excellent length. You know, only ran a 4.640. I mean, that's that's pretty pedestrian there at the combine, but the ball skills are definitely evident with this guy. 25 um, over the course of his three years there with the Commodores. Somebody, you know, four interceptions this past season as well. Um, when you look at at the Chargers, you know, their, their pass defense did struggle, you know, quite a bit, and I think that's something that they're going to need to shore up. Um and if you're looking at the cornerback position, you know, they've got uh, Casey Hayward um, played very well. Desmond King played in the slot. Um, you know, but then there's Trevor Williams, Michael Davis. They need an upgrade there. And I think that's where um, Joan Williams could potentially slide in and, uh, and take over that position. And I'm looking, I actually had a safety penciled in for the Chargers somewhere, but I don't know what happened to my safety for... The Chargers. Let's see. So while I'm looking for the Chargers, the Chiefs. Now the Chiefs obviously had Patrick Mahomes and and everything that Patrick Mahomes was able to do for them. Just staggering, you know, the, the 50 touchdowns, um, you know, en route to ultimately being, you know, the NFL MVP. Uh, just staggering what, what he was able to accomplish there for uh, the, the the Chiefs and uh, you know yet they they still ended up falling to the Patriots when it was all said and done um, definitely a, a disappointment um, you know to the end of their season okay I found it so in the second round the Chargers 
taking Darnell Savage, the, the, the junior say, I'm sorry, the safety out of, out of Maryland, 5'11, 198 pounds. They said goodbye to Jaleel Adai, the strong safety, uh, played more defensive snaps over the last two seasons than any other player on the roster creates that hole in the secondary next to Derwin, uh, Derwin James. Um, Savage was a three-year starter. Um, ball skills were evident, picked off eight passes, broke up another 13 in his career. Safety with good route recognition has sub 4-4 speed that allows him to drive quickly on the ball and make a play. I think he'd be a nice fit there for the Chargers. Definite versatility. Uh, can play in the box and um, you know also covering the slot a little bit. I think that gets him on the field early and often. So let's get back to the Chiefs. And uh, sorry about that, but uh, we'll get back to the to the Chiefs and uh, definitely a memorable season. And we we talk about the the secondary, you know, and and that's really where they got abused. You know, Case KC was let down in the shootout against the Rams in November, again against the Patriots in the AFC title game. They couldn't stop Tom Brady, uh, Julian Edelman, especially over the middle. Bob Sutton's out. Steve Spagnuolo's in as defensive coordinator, but it, changes won't stop there. You know, Kendall Fuller was the team's top corner. He'll be a free agent in 2020. And while Steven Nelson had himself a strong season opposite Fuller, left for Pittsburgh, um, the rest of the, the group needs an upgrade. And uh, Bashad Breeland was brought in, started 58 out of 60 games for, for Washington from 2014 to 2017. Coming off of 2018, that saw him play in just seven games for the Packers. They need another corner. DeAndre Baker, to me, is the number one corner in this draft. Um, you know, what, what he's been able to do against the SEC, um, you know, 28 straight games without a, allowing a touchdown. The last time a receiver actually found the end zone was a 2016 Liberty Bowl. Um, played against some of the top SEC receivers, shut them all down. Vandy Whiteout, Kalijah Lipscomb caught just two passes for 16 yards. Van Johnson, or I'm sorry, Van Jefferson of Florida, the speedster, held without a catch. Debo Samuel did get two pass interference calls on Baker, hauled in six passes, only able to rack up 33 yards, frustrated throughout the game. And then Auburn's vertical threat, Darius Slayton, held to just one catch for eight yards. Even the highly touted Jerry Judy of Alabama Manages two catches for 14 yards against Baker. Simply put, this is a lockdown corner on the outside. I don't care what anyone says. Yes, you know, I don't think he interviewed very well, and that might might drop his stock. But at the end of the day, he's a lockdown corner. I think the Chiefs have to go with him if he's on the board there at the end of day one. Look, you know, they're not afraid to take a guy who who might not interview all that well. Um, you know, and uh, you know, Andy Reid and that locker room. I think they'd be able to to help this kid along uh, just a little bit. So now the Chiefs in round number two stand on the defensive side of the of the football. And uh, when you look at their defensive end position, um, you know, Steve Spagnuolo runs a, a 4-3 um, as opposed to the 3-4. The, the and so what, what exactly is that going to look like? You know, I think Chris Jones ends up moving inside. Um, you know, you've got Derek Nottie playing playing the nose, but you're going to need to find some defensive ends that can play in a 4-3 scheme. And uh, how about Zach Allen uh, out of Boston College, a guy who could be a, um, a first-rounder. He's 6'4", 281 pounds, one of the more productive defensive linemen in this year's draft. Posted three straight seasons with double-digit tackles for loss and at least six sacks, uh, a team captain, uh, disruptive coming off the edge, a quick get-off, advanced hand usage to really win at the point of attack. Has violent hands. You'll see a chop and a rip or a quick club to get that separation, get the off to tackle off off balance, and then enough flexibility to bend a little bit around the edge. 
Um, I think he has a really strong bull rush as well, you know, especially on the inside. Extends those long arms into the into his man and drives him back into the backfield. Um, also works outside using his quick spin move to get back inside. But I talked about the the uh, production, you know, very active. You know, as a junior, had a hundred tackles, which is just staggering for a guy his size. Also had fourteen pass breakups in his career, including. Uh, seven in 2018, so he knows how to get his hands up and knock the balls down. Not just a, a pass rusher, diagnoses run plays quickly, keeps working to chase the running back down the field. Um, I think he'd be excellent value if he ends up somehow on the board there um, You know, on, on day two. Um, I'm actually surprised that I actually had him penciled in here in the second round. He's definitely someone who can end up coming off the board um, in round number one. So, you know, again, definitely a a huge surprise here for, for me, even as I'm, as I'm going through this, um, at the end of, of the second round, I've got the chiefs going with the center, Eric McCoy out of, out of Texas A&M. One of my favorite guys, uh, at the center position, they lost Mitch Morris to free agency. So they need to address that center position. And McCoy three-year starter, Played in all and started all 39 games for the Aggies. Definitely powerfully built, allowing him to anchor. Also athletic enough to hold up against the speed rushers on the inside. But maybe his most impressive ability is is, is the ability to pull. Fires out so quickly out of his stance to be a lead blocker for Tra- uh, Travion Williams. I don't know how many times he was getting turning the corner, getting out into space, finding that that's you know a defender at the second level to spring Williams for another big gain. I think Eric McCoy was a big reason for all the success that Travion Williams had. Um, so I think that's definitely a, a great selection there for the Chiefs at the end of uh, at the end of the second round. Eric McCoy very well could end up coming off the board in round one. We saw two centers go off the board last year with Frank Ragnow and uh, Billy Price. I think it could happen again this year with McCoy and Garrett Bradbury, who we're going to cover here in just a moment. Round number three, the Chiefs, 93 overall. I think they, they end up taking a running back. How about Devin Singletary out of Florida Atlantic? 5'7", 203 pounds. Now the Chiefs, you know, they they've obviously... Kareem Hunt, no longer there. You've got Damian Williams. Carlos Hyde was brought in as well. Um, but I think they need another another running back. And one of the best in terms of the lateral quickness is uh, Devin Singletary. Just so elusive uh, in the open field. And, and look, he's another guy like uh, David Montgomery who's quicker than he is fast. I think, you know, ran a disappointing time at the Combine. Um you know, was just a, a 46640, uh, 35-inch vertical leap. Um, so not the most explosive back there, but, uh, you know, the production, you can't argue with that. Um, over 4,200 yards there for the Owls, you know, three straight 1,000-yard uh, seasons, including, you know, 19 uh, over 1,900 yards there as a sophomore with 32 touch, uh, 32 touchdowns that year, 66 total in his career, 51 receptions. So he's got good hands coming out of the backfield. Uh, Lane Kiffin just, you know, basically just hooked up uh, the offense to this guy and let him carry that that offense along. 714 carries in in three seasons, including you know, over what 562 in his last two years there at Florida Atlantic. Um, but definitely someone who, 
you know, the, the lateral quickness, just setting guys up, um, the ankle flexion. We talked about that earlier, being able to just really plant and then drive off of that, you know, that 45 degree angle. You see that out of him, not the biggest running back. I don't know that he'll necessarily be able to shoulder the entire load, but I think he'd be definitely a guy that would add some depth and, uh, you know, something that the Chiefs could use there at the running back position. So Chiefs going to have to wait until, until round number five. Uh, they gave away their fourth round pick to the Bills, uh, number 132 overall. So uh, we won't be seeing them making a pick there in round number four. So Los Angeles Rams, NFC champs, made their first Super Bowl appearance in L.A. Uh, since 1980. Sean McVay, Jared Goff, offense ranked uh, second in the, in, in the NFL. Uh, Wade Phillips' defense struggled 19th in, in the league. Uh, safety and inside linebacker, linebacker were where they needed some help, and they brought in you know former Pro Bowlers and Eric Weddle and, and Clay Matthews. Um, you know, do they try to re-sign Indomitian Sue? Do they just move Michael Brockers and nose tackle? Um, I think Jerry Tillery can make a lot of sense here. Um, you know, the Rams you know caught a break when uh, Andrew Whitworth, who's 37, decided to come back. Um, Roger Saffold left, so you know this could be a spot for Chris Lindstrom, the guard out of uh, out of Boston College. Um, you know Eric McCoy could end up finding his way into first round, but you know Garrett Bradbury to me is the top interior lineman in this draft. 6'3", 306 pounds. Um, you know ran a four nine three at the combine, converted tight end. Um, you know and this is someone who you know he. he he has some versatility. Oh, he's also played guard, um, but I think the meteoric development um, in 2018, All-American honors, uh, and the Remington Trophy, uh, and really just a beast when it comes to his reach blocks. You know, showing off the athleticism to quickly get to his man, sustain that block. Very fluid athlete, quick to change directions, squares up his man, then shows a good grip strength to lock on and really control his man after that. Very light on his feet, climbs to the second level, takes good angles, seals off his man to allow the running back to run off that block. Very active hands as well. I think uh, he's got to replace John Sullivan there for, for the Rams. Um, you know, who's not going to come back. He was released. So I think Garrett Bradbury can be an immediate starter and has Pro Bowl potential. So the Rams gave up their second round pick to the Chiefs, um, you know, which they, they used there for um, Eric McCoy. Coincidentally, so the Rams, number 95 overall in round number three, they get an inside backer. Um, you know, I think they're going to need some depth there at the position. That's really when you watch, you know, the, the Super Bowl and really any of the games where that defense struggled, it was up the middle. And really that inside linebacker position struggled mightily. Um, you know, Mark uh, Mark Barron was not asked to be, you know, asked back. Um, he was let go. And, uh, you know, Corey Littleton, you know, he's a special teams ace, but I don't know that he's necessarily, I'm sold on him uh, there on the inside position. I think Clay Matthews, you could line him up at inside backer uh, with Samson Abacom on the, on the outside um, and Dante Fowler as well. 
Um, but inside, they're going to need another backer. And how about Bobby Okariki um, out of Stanford? 6'1", 239 pounds. Okariki um, looked pretty good at the combine, looked pretty fluid as an athlete. You know, four, uh, four, five, eight, forty, long arms. I didn't realize he had such long arms. 34 and a half inch arms. Um, and, and Okariki was just basically just a model of, uh, of consistency there for, for Stanford. One of their better players uh, in each of the last couple of seasons for, for the Cardinal um, you know, I think he's someone that every time you thought of, you know, Stanford defensively, you know, it seemed like Okariki was there you know, each, you know, just making plays, um, you know, 227 total tackles, including 94 a season ago, uh, 20 tackles for loss, 10 and a half sacks, eight pass breakups, three forced fumbles, um, very active, you know, and athletic linebacker. That's really what they need um, in, uh, on the interior there for, for their defense. And then at number 100, a compensatory pick, I think the Rams end up looking to address that defensive line, especially if Michael Brockers moves to nose tackle. Um, Kingsley Kiki out of, out of Texas A&M. He's 6'3", 288 pounds. When I watched Kingsley Kiki play, I, I saw five technique. I kept thinking that in my head, five technique. It was 6'3", 288 pounds, long arms, 34 and a half inch arms, ran a 4.9540 at the combine. Um, but just somebody who uh, could push the pocket a little bit, you know, there on the inside, also lined up, you know, had some experience as the five technique there when they ran an Ahmad in front there with the Aggies. Um, you know, played a little bit heavier, um, you know, was 305 pounds as a junior, dropped his weight. I think that really made him more explosive. Um, had only five sacks in each of, you know, in, in those first three years combined. Had seven and a half as a senior, 11 tackles for loss, you know, which was more than the first three years combined as well. A lot more explosive. And I think that he'd be nice value for the Rams there at the end of round number three. Now, if we take a look at round number four, uh, for the Rams, I think they have to go corner, right? You know, I, I think that that uh, that the Rams have to look at a at a cornerback. Um, you have Marcus Peters, you have Akib Talib, uh, Nikhil Roby Coleman playing there in the slot, but you know, there's little in terms of depth behind those guys. And uh, you know, I'm looking at Chris Boyd. You know, there's kind of a feast or famine with with Chris Boyd. This is the guy who, you know. Tons of pass interference calls, very handsy, but also a guy who has tremendous ball skills. You know, veteran veteran player there for the Longhorns. And, uh, you know, the, the ball skills, again, they're evident. 35 uh, in uh, pass breakups in his career, three interceptions. Didn't register an interception a season ago, but back-to-back seasons with 15 pass breakups. Um, very physical, um, likes to jam his receivers, get his hands on him. You know, if he can just trust his feet, a little bit, um, then I think that's going to bode well for him at the next level. He's just got to get those hands off, get the hands off. But I uh, ran a four four five at the combine. I was actually surprised. I didn't think he was going to run as fast as he did, uh, especially because he he's so handsy and grabs uh, uh, receivers so often. But um, ran pretty well, and I think the Rams in in uh, in the fourth round that actually adds to some of that. Uh, you know, aggressiveness and physicality there in the secondary. And then New England. 
the Super Bowl champs. And, uh, you know, they're not without some holes, you know, that they need to fill here. Yes, Tom Brady did it again. But, uh, you know, he says he wants to play till he's 45. They need to groom his eventual replacement at one point. They currently have just Brian, uh, Brian Hoyer, Danny Etling on the roster. You know, I could see the Pats making a play for Daniel Jones at the end of round number one. He could sit behind Brady much like Aaron Rodgers did behind Farr from 25, uh, 2005 to 2007 before taking over in 2018. Or in 2008, sorry. Uh, you know, Brady would be 44 at the start of the 2021 season. So the timing seems kind of right, right? Then there's a retirement of Gronk. Rob Gronkowski battled injuries throughout uh, what would be considered a Hall of Fame career, first ballot Hall of Fame. I think Irv Smith Jr. will be the pick if he falls here, but I don't think the, you know, I think the pass will end up addressing it on day two. Jay Sternberger, Dawson Knox are possible replacements there. We'll get to that in just a moment. Trey Flowers has now gone on to Detroit, and then Malcolm Brown and, and Danny Shelton are free agents on the interior as well. I think Zach Allen, Charles Omenahu, um, potential fits there at defensive end, but how about Jerry Tillery at at, at, at D tackle? Um, you know, I, I think when you look at, at what Jerry Tillery was able to do, um, especially in the last two seasons as a junior, you know, fifty six tackles, nine tackles for loss, four and a half sacks, and then man filled up the stat seat, stat sheets as a senior with thirty tackles, ten and a half tackles for loss, eight sacks, um, and, and those eight sacks. You know, if you watch the game against Stanford, he just made. Uh, you know, Nate Herbig um, just really just I felt bad for him because he just could not block Tillery, um, you know, which led to four sacks of KJ Costello. Just, you know, long armed Herbig drove him back with a devastating bull rush right hand into into Herbig's right shoulder, drove him back right into the backfield to sack Costello. Later, use an arm over to get inside to get to the quarterback stepping up in the pocket. Then he starts outside Herbig, and then uh, when the defensive end forced Costello up in the pocket, Tillery shoves Herbig down, able to get you know track down Costello for the sack. And then finally, you know back to back dominating plays. First, he shoots the gap between the left tackle and the guard on a twist stunt, pushed the left tackle wide, came underneath for a strip sack. The next play, extended his arms into the left guard, rips through to drop Costello. Um, for his fourth sack. Um, you know, he, he's basically a renaissance man of sorts. I mean, if you follow him on social media, you'll see that he's been all over the world. Um, inconsistent play makes you wonder if he truly loves the game because I talked about that Stanford game, but, you know, there are some lapses there where you didn't see a whole lot of production. Four sacks against Stanford, only four sacks the remainder of the season. Um, so if Jerry Tillery, if they can light a fire there in New England, I think they'll have themselves uh, a pretty darn good player when it's all said and done. You know, and he just feels like he, he would be a, a good fit as a, um, as a Bill Belichick guy. Round two, remember, Rob Gronkowski was a, uh, a second-round pick himself. And I'm looking at Dawson Knox, 6'4", 254 pounds out of Ole Miss. Um, you know, I, I think this is a guy um, who can fill that void uh, just a little bit. Um, you know, again, Gronk taking 42 overall. They could get their, their tight end of the future at number 56. Now, Knox, only 39 receptions in his career, including just 15 a season ago, but that lack of production really wasn't his fault. You know, um, you know, he was a guy, you know, in an offense fe- that featured AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Marcus Lodge, but he was actually a high school quarterback recruited to Ole Miss as a tight end, red shirted and, and really kind of had to learn his way onto the field. 
Um, lacks that initial burst off the ball. Um, doesn't always sink his hips into his cuts, but uh, the straight, sli- straight line speed is absolutely impressive. 4.5740 at his pro day. Uh, would have been good for third fastest among the tight ends at the combine. Had a uh, an injury that kept him from running at the combine. Can stretch defenses up the seam. Can be a weapon along the sideline on vertical routes. Excellent leaper as well. Ascending player. I think the Patriots. You know this this makes a lot of sense for them uh, to take Dawson Knotts. Knox here in round number two. Then they move on. Their second pick in round number two is number 64 overall, and uh, they can address that anemic pass rush. Man, they tied for 30th in the league with just 30 sacks. Tied the Giants. Only the Raiders with their 13 sacks finished lower than them. They add Michael Bennett. That's a great start, but they need another, another edge rusher. How about LJ Collier out of TCU? Only one year starting experience under his belt for the Horn Frogs. Proved to be a proficient pass rusher. Also stout against the run. May not blow you away athletically. Like if you look at his stuff at the combine, not the most impressive, but very aggressive and physical at the point of attack. Knows how to get into the backfield. Finished 2018 with 11 and a half tackles for loss and six sacks in 2018. Workman-like approach. I think that'll work well under Bill Belichick. And the Patriots have so many draft picks uh, in this draft. You know, I, I think you know Belichick could definitely put some of these picks together and look to trade up. Um, you know, into the into the draft at some point and take a quarterback. You know, there was a, the talk that maybe they were interested in, in a guy like uh, like Baker Mayfield a season ago. Um, no, that never happened. What are they going to do with all these picks? Well, you know, round three, I've got them taking a receiver. Um, you know, obviously Danny Amendola gone, um, you know, a, a season prior this year, it looks like Chris Hogan's going to be gone. He's a free agent. You've got obviously, you know, Julian Edelman still a beast. How about Andy Isabella? 5'9", 188 pounds out of UMass. Uh, the, the, the diminutive receiver can actually, you know, was making plays for the Minutemen, both on the outside and in the slot. You look at him and you look at his lack of size and you think, well, this guy's definitely a slot receiver. Not necessarily so. Um, you know, definitely very explosive. Had over 100 catches uh, last season. Had, actually had um, 102 to be exact. And uh, let's see if I can pull up his stats here real quick a season ago. Um uh, 1,698 yards, 13 touchdowns, and uh, this is a guy, too, we can talk about the explosive speed, 4-3-1-40, and actually beat Denzel Ward, the number four overall pick in last year's draft, the corner for the Browns, in a 100-meter uh, race in high school. So definitely explosive there. And uh, he just feels like a, a Patriot, you know, t- Patriot-type selection, uh, you know, a guy who's going to work on the outside, also going to work uh, in the slot, and then Patriots, number 98 overall, um, taking one of my favorite quarterbacks, Brett Rippon out of Boise State, 6'2", 210 pounds. Look, when, when you're talking about Bill Belichick, you're not necessarily going to look for the guy who has all of the, you know, checks all the boxes off physically. You know, Brett Rippon, just 6'2", 202 pounds, or 212 pounds. But, uh, man, so efficient. Six, uh, 64% uh, completion percentage, over 13,000 yards, 13,578 to be exact, 90 touchdowns with just 29 interceptions, never threw more than eight interceptions in, in his career. Four-year starter there for the Broncos, and he was so effective that essentially Ryan Finley had to get out of Dodge and, and transfer to NC State. I, I think Brett Rippon is, is severely underrated, 
And, you know, I think this will be good value. And, and look, you know, nobody really thought that, you know, when you talked about, um, you know, Tom Brady as that six round pick, you know, nobody really talked about him either. And I'm looking at Brett Rippon. I think he could be a nice fit there and uh, doesn't have, you know, the explosive arm strength, but very intelligent quarterback makes a lot of sense for Bill Belichick there. 102 overall. How about Tristan Hill, defensive tackle out of Central Florida, uh, to round out round number three? Now you look at the Patriots, um, you know, and I've already had them taking one defensive tackle in, in Jerry Tillery, but you know, with with Brown and Shelton leaving, that opens up a huge hole there. You know, they've got Lawrence Guy, they've got David Perry, Adam Butler, Mike Pinnell there at the defensive tackle position. So you can see why they're gonna want to get some guys in there. Now now Tristan Hill, interesting guy, uh, because he, he was someone who didn't really, you know, he he was explosive more so under the the previous regime there with with Scott uh, Scott Frost and and was a starter nine and a half tackles for loss three sacks in his first two seasons didn't wasn't a full time starter there as a junior under Josh Heupel ten and a half tackles for loss three sacks on the year um, but a guy who I think is going to be a better pro than he was a college player to be perfectly honest with you you look at what he did there at the at the combine. 504-40, 35-inch vertical leap, 28 reps at 225 in the bench press. Um, you know, someone who just looked very fluid as an athlete. The change of direction uh, was definitely there. I think he looks like a guy who could definitely come in and do some good things there for the Patriots. So, Patriots there in round number four. They have the 135th overall pick. They need an inside linebacker. How about Cam Smith out of USC? Another guy who just feels like a Bill Belichick type guy. Um, when you talk about the inside linebacker position, they have Dante Hightower, Landon Roberts, Jawan Bentley. Uh, but they need another another guy in there to round out some depth. And I think Cam Smith um, is somebody who could definitely get in there and make some plays. Now, Cam Smith, you know, he was a guy, if you'll remember, he played against... Uh, uh, Utah as a freshman, three interceptions, returned one of them for touchdown. You know, 354 tackles in his career, 26 and a half tackles for loss. Um, you know, only registered one other interception after the the three as a freshman. Uh, 14 pass breakups. This was a guy who played at 250 pounds, looked very slow, didn't really look like he could cover backs out of the backfield, um, and really looked like a two down defender. Um, shed some weight. And uh, you know now he's he's 238 pounds at six foot two, ran a four six nine forty, not bad. Um, had a 39 inch vertical leap as well, so there's some explosiveness to him. And uh, I think he just he just feels like a Bill Belichick type guy. I think that'd be a nice pick for them. So we've gotten through the entire first round. There's still four teams that we've yet to cover. Why? Well, they don't have their first-round picks. The first one is the Cleveland Browns. Now, look, Cleveland, they traded the first-round pick because they ended up getting an explosive receiver, obviously, in, uh, in Odell Beckham Jr. So they, they don't get to, to draft uh, unless they trade back into the first round uh, until number 49 overall. And uh, you know, I, I think they, they dominated the offseason. You know, they, they traded Emmanuel Ogba. Uh, to pick up Eric Murray, they you know even though they have that safety there, they could take a safety here, um, potentially Darnell Savage, 
Um, but I think the focus is going to be on defensive tackle. They picked in, picked up Sheldon Richardson, the team with Larry Ogunjobi, uh, but depth behind them is questionable. And Draymond Jones is very explosive, played just two years of high school football, but developed into a three-year starter, put everything together as a junior for the Buckeyes, 43 tackles, 13 tackles for loss, eight and a half sacks, two pass breakups, three fumble recoveries, and an interception that he returned 28 yards for a touchdown. I think when you watch him play is the quick get-off. Allows him to shoot the gaps, get early penetration into the backfield, very quick hands to slap the guard's hands away, rips through to quickly dispose of the block, counter moves, tight spin move to the outside to get by his man to pressure the quarterback. Um, very good hand placement under the, the pad level while he's engaged at the point, allowing him to, to play with some leverage and convert that speed to power. I think that's a nice pick for Cleveland there in round number two. Um, you know, if they if they can do that, you know, that really solidifies the interior of that defensive line. So, Cleveland, moving on. Round number three, um, I've got them taking a corner. I've got them taking Sean Bunting out of uh, Central Michigan. You know, he, He's a junior. Now, you look at, at, at the cornerback position, they've got Denzel Ward, uh, Terrence Mitchell, uh, TJ Carey. I think they could use another corner there. And, uh, you know, Bunting is a guy that, you know, not many people really knew a whole lot about. Uh, you know, Central Michigan struggled in uh, struggled quite a bit in, in 2018. Uh, but Sean Bunting, definitely a guy, you know, 6'1", um, 6'1", corner, so he does have some decent size, 195 pounds, ran a 4'4", 240 at the combine, 41 and a half vertical leap, um, has 15 pass breakups in his career, nine interceptions, so the ball skills are actually, you know, are definitely there. Um, I think he'd be a nice pick there in round number three for the Browns. And then we move on to round number four, and, and Cleveland gets an outside linebacker and Drew Tranquil out of Notre Dame. Uh, number 20 overall, 6'2", 234 pounds. Now look, Drew Tranquil could very well come off the board in round two or round three. I think he's he's that good. He's a converted safety. Um, you'll remember you know, his freshman year celebrating an interception and uh, ends up, you know, I think he tore his knee up and was out for the rest of the season. But fills up the stat sheets. You know, this is a guy who knows how to, you know, very good in the open field. Uh, you know, at least 79 tackles in each of the last three seasons. You know, was a team captain for them. 25 and a half tackles for loss. Uh, registered three and a half sacks this past season. Uh, 11 pass breakups in his career. Five fumble recoveries. Three interceptions. So he knows how to how to get to the football. You know, and in this day and age, you need those outside linebackers who can kind of be that hybrid, be a safety slash linebacker. He's a very sure tackler, very intelligent player. I think Cleveland, this just sounds like a John Dorsey type pick, could end up being their, their second or third round pick when it's all said and done. Um, if he falls to the fourth round, that would be excellent value for them there. Now, Dallas... You know, they traded away their, their first round pick to get Amari Cooper. I think that was a, a great move for them. So they don't actually get to draft until round number two. And in round number two, I've got them taking uh, a safety, no less. Um, you know, I think a lot of people were expecting Dallas possibly to, you know, go tight end, possibly go with another receiver. You know, and, and I, I beg to differ there. I, I think that Dallas, you know, they, they need to address the defense. And I'm looking at Amari uh, Amani Hooker out of Iowa. Uh, this is a guy, you know, he could be a you know pair with uh, Xavier Woods. I don't think George Iloka is going to be the the long term 
option there. Very unique skill set. He's a safety hybrid uh, linebacker type. Uh, gives the Cowboys some flexibility on the back end of the defense. Big Ten uh, Defensive Player of the Year in 2018. 65 tackles, 3.5 tackles for loss, a sack, 4 interceptions, 7 pass breakups. Very instinctive. Diagnosis plays well, excellent ball skills, showed some stiffnesses in his hips at the combine, but ran a 4-4-8-40, 37-inch vertical leap. Um, and then you look at the 6-8-1-second uh, three-cone drill, was second fastest among safeties and would have put him in the top five among the cornerbacks. I think the high football IQ gets him on the field early, perfect complement for Xavier Woods. Um, and I think I'm, um, I think that would definitely be a great pick there for Dallas in round number two. Moving on to round number three, um, again, no no tight end, but I think they go defensive tackle. Remember David Irving, no longer there. He retired from the game, if you'll remember. How about Rennell Wren out of Arizona State? 6'5", 318 pounds. I've seen some people putting him in round number two. I wouldn't go that far, uh, but definitely a guy who uh, I think will be a better pro than he was uh, in college. I think he was playing at a position. Um, I think he'll fit in very well there, um, with Dallas, just 14 and a half tackles for loss and just three sacks. Um, but a guy who I think, you know, really dominated, um, a little bit in some of the postseason um, games that he, that he played in ran a 501 40, 30 reps at uh, 225 in the bench press, 6'5", 318 pounds would be a nice fit for them. A nice get there in round number three. Now Dallas in round four, they have two picks, and I think this is where they go offense. They look at the offensive side of the football. They need another receiver. And uh, how about David Sills out of West Virginia? 6'3", 211 pounds. The receiver, all he does is catch touchdowns. And I think that'd be a you know a nice uh, addition there for Dak Prescott. You know, A guy who was a quarterback, if you'll remember, uh, Lane Kiffin offered him a scholarship when he was in middle school, uh, when he was at USC. Uh, ends up coming to West Virginia. Uh, as a quarterback, ends up being a receiver, and uh, finishes with over 2,000 yards receiving in his career, uh, 18 touchdowns in 2017, and then another 15 in 2018. A guy who does a tremendous job tracking the ball over his shoulder, not the fastest guy, runs in, uh, let's see, what did he run? Um, David Sills actually ran a 4.5740, so faster than you would expect. 6'3", 211 pounds. Um, a guy who who just knows how to position his body. Um, not the you know not the the quickest guy in and out of his breaks, but still knows how to create separation at the right time uh, to make a play on the football. And then Dallas has the 137th overall pick, com- compensatory selection. They get their tight end. They get Josh Oliver out of San Jose State. I think this is going to be a guy, um, you know, who's who's kind of a sleeper. You know, he played it, played for the Spartans. Not many people really knew about him um, playing out there on the West Coast, especially you know in the Bay Area where they have uh, uh, Stanford and Cal Berkeley, but you know his senior year, 56 receptions, 709 yards, and four touchdowns, one of the you know higher producing tight ends in this year's draft. And if you look at Josh Oliver, ran a 4 6 3, 40, 22 reps at uh, you know 225 in the bench press, vertical leap at 34 inches, um, you know, 6 5, 249. You know, it's pretty good movement skills. Huge hands, 10 and three quarter inch hands. Um, so you know able to pluck the football out of the air. Excellent athlete. Um, I think that'd be a great pick for Dallas there in round number four. Now, New Orleans, the Saints, uh, they also no longer have a first-round pick. So, um, you know, really we're going to see them come off the board there. Number 62 overall, 
Drew Brees, 40 years of age, not slowing down. I saw a, a stat that Pro Football Focus released, and I thought it was really interesting. Brees broke the Pro Football uh, Pro Football Focus record for the highest adjusted completion percentage, which stood since 27, uh, 2007, posted an 82.2 adjusted uh, completion percentage uh, this past season. Saints need to find him some weapons, take some pressure off of Michael Thomas. You know, they signed Jared Cook. That's a good start. Um, but Cameron Meredith battled injuries. Is he going to really make a, uh, make an impact out there? You know, Ted Ginn now 33 years of age, Austin Carr and, uh, and Keith uh, Kirkwood, two possession receivers that the Saints like, but none of them are going to be speed demons. Uh, again, Paris Campbell, to me, I see him as a Curtis Samuel clone, both running in the four, three range, Ran a 4-3-1-40 at the Combine. Um, really, you know, it was a senior year where he had his breakout year. 90 receptions, 163 yards, I'm sorry, 1,063 yards and 12 touchdowns. Has that game-breaking speed, has always had that, you know, made plays at running back and in the return game. Finally showed some improved hands. Very sudden with the ball in his hands. Very elusive in the open field. Um, I, I think he he's a second-round pick, and I think the Saints, um, you know, that'd be a great pick for them. Um, there at the end of round number two. Now the Saints traded away their their third third round pick to the Jets, so they won't be drafting there. That's their only pick as of right now on uh, on day uh, on day one. So beginning of day two, well, they also traded that pick to the Giants. So that's really their only pick. Um, so Max Unger um, is no longer on the roster. Um, he's retired, and I think it was kind of an, uh, an abrupt retirement. I don't think really what everyone was expecting Max Unger to retire. Um, a veteran, you know, a, a pro's pro, really did well there at the center position. They brought in Nick Easton. If they're not sold on him, you could potentially see them taking a center. But I think you know the addition of Nick Easton allows them to to look at that receiver position. Um, tight end was another need area. They brought in Jared Cook, so I think that allows them a little bit of that versatility. I'm sorry, not versatility, but the the ability to kind of look elsewhere. You know, they also brought in Latavius Murray to replace uh, Mark Ingram. So I, I think they were doing all the right things in free agency um, to address some of those needs. So the final team is the Chicago Bears. Now the Chicago Bears, another team that, you know, doesn't have a ton of picks there in the first two rounds. In fact, they don't have any in the first two rounds. Um, so where are they in round number three? Well, number 88 overall. Now the Bears, if you'll recall, they traded away Jordan uh, Jordan Howard and uh, in doing so that leaves a hole there at the running back position. Yes, they brought in Mike Davis and they have uh, Tariq Cohen. But look, those guys aren't going to be number one running backs. Um, I, I think they're going to be nice complimentary players. And, and really, they, they can pick up a guy in Miles Sanders, who I think has the ability to um, to be a, a number one back uh, at the next level, be a three-down back as well. You know, 5'11", 215 pounds, um, you know, played behind Saquon Barkley, only had 56 uh, rushing attempts in his first two years. And then on, on 220 carries in, in 2018, 1,274 yards, nine touchdowns, 5.8 yards per carry, 24 receptions. So he showed he can catch the ball out of the backfield. Really, he just needs to cut down on the fumbles. You know, he's somebody who I think 
you, know, you watched him in the drills at the combine, very fluid athlete, a guy who can change directions on a dime, uh, very sudden with his, his lateral skills, his lateral movement as well. Um, ran a four four nine forty at the combine. Um, so to me, uh, Miles Sanders, you know, cut down on the intercept on the on the uh, on the fumbles. You know, I think he had eleven in his career, including seven that he lost. Um, and uh, you know, that's really going to be a, a huge question mark for me with with that. Um, you know, you, you don't want to have the Cleveland Gary sim- syndrome. You know, Cleveland Gary, um, you know, of the Rams. Uh, came out and it just had a, an atrocious couple of years um, there with the Rams. Just fumble. It seemed like he just had a case of the of fumbleitis, and you don't want to run into that uh, that situation because that'll ultimately get you run out of the league. So the Bears end up looking um, on on the beginning of of day three, uh, number one twenty seven overall. How about? USC corner, Iman Lewis Marshall, 6'1", 207 pounds. Now, Iman Marshall, or Iman Lewis Marshall, I should say, um, when you look at the cornerback position, they've got Kyle Fuller, Prince of Mukamara, um, they're at the cornerback position. Um, they also brought in HaHa Clinton Dix uh, to play with uh, Eddie Jackson now that Adrian Amos is gone. I think Iman Marshall's true position at the next level is going to be safety. You know, he, he showed that he has some some pretty good ball skills. Um, he gets very handsy. Um, I don't think he ever trusts his feet. Um, you know, and so that's one of the things that is a problem. But he uses the sideline so well um, down the field. Um, better hips than I think I was even expecting. Um, you know, six interceptions in his career, 36 pass breakups, um, you know, never had less than eight pass breakups in a season. Um, you know, but again, a lot of pass interference calls because, you know, when he, he'd get beat and then he just grab. And, you know, I I think ultimately you put him back at safety, the ball skills allow him to roam a little bit in space. I think that ultimately will be his best spot when, uh, when things are all said and done. So the Bears, we got through that, got through the rest of, of, of things here. Um, so just to kind of recap where I was at with this, you know, the quarterback position, three quarterbacks going in round number one, two in round two, one in round three, um, total of six in the first three rounds, seven running backs in the first three rounds, uh, just one in uh, each of the first two rounds, and then five in round three, uh, 15 receivers, only three in round one, but then six in round two and six in round in round three. Tight end position, three in round one, and then one each in the second and third rounds. Offensive tackle, look at this. I have six going in the first round, but none in round two, and then another five in round three. That's really interesting. The guards, again, Chris Lindstrom could end up coming off, off the board in round one. And you could argue that okay, you know that that would strengthen the group if if you could also include Jonah Williams or um, Cody Ford, but none in round one. I've got two in round two, two more in round three, uh, for a total of four, and then three centers, one in each of the first three rounds. Uh, defensive end, defensive side of the football. That's where you know we're talking about having so much, uh, you know, so many playmakers up front. Basically, twenty five. Uh, defensive lineman, 13 ends, 12 tackles, um, six defensive ends, four uh, defensive tackles in round one, six defensive ends, and three defensive tackles in round two, just one end in round three, but five defensive tackles. 
Um, when you look at the outside linebacker position, not including edge rushers, you know, that are kind of in the, the defensive end pool, um, you know, have two coming off the board in round three. Inside linebackers, a total of five, two in round one, one in round two. Uh, the Devons come off the board in round one. Mac Wilson off in round two. And then you have two more in round number three. Uh, eight corners. I don't think this is a, a, a really strong cornerback class. Um, I've got five in the first two rounds and then another three uh, in round number three. The safety position, though, none in the first round. You could potentially have two or three guys that could go in round number one, but I've got seven coming off the board in round number two and then another another two in round number three. So that's kind of that positional breakdown. You know, the way that it looks, you know, obviously the receiver position is very deep. Um, you know, I've got you know more receivers in than any other position, but that's to be expected because usually receiver is the uh, position that gets picked more than any other. Um, but uh, defensive end, defensive tackle, right after that, and then offensive tackle and, and safety. Um, so it's going to be interesting when we get down to it. What uh, what the teams are going to do, where they're focused with. Uh, with the draft needs, you know, but I think what teams have done in free agency definitely speak to what they're probably going to do uh, in the draft. You know, I could be completely off base, completely wrong. We talked about what the Saints were able to do uh, that allows them to look at the receiver position. I look at the Bucks. I look at what they've done, you know, with that linebacking core. Todd Bowles is going to a 3-4 scheme and, you know, you, you've, you've got to figure out where, what you're going to do with Jason Pierre-Paul. Noah Spence, you got Shaquille Barrett coming in. All those guys, to me, scream outside linebacker and not a five technique. So you've got Gerald McCoy moving to a five technique. Is Carl Nassib going to be your defensive end? Um, but inside backer, 3-4, uh, I think Levante David has to be an inside backer. Um, you know, Playing inside there with, with Kevin Minter and uh, Dayon Buchanan is going to be another hybrid backer who could probably play inside, kind of like Mark Barron did with the Rams. You've got all these players there at, at inside backer and outside backer. You need another defensive end to, to really pair with, with Gerald McCoy and challenge Carl Nassib. That's where I think Ed Oliver really comes into play. So, again, free agency, you know, I think that's kind of telling of what these teams are going to be doing. That's what really helped me kind of figure out where, you know, what the team's strategy is going to be. It'll be interesting, you know, see if I'm right uh, and see where where these, these chips may fall. So, to get you prepared for the draft, the next few podcasts are going to come fast and furious. Every couple of days, I want to release another podcast positionally. We're going to talk about each position, quarter, you know, quarterback, running back, all the way through uh, the the offensive line, uh, you know, skill position, offensive line, and then getting to the defensive line up front, the backers, and then into the secondary. You know, take a look at the positions again. Talk about. Here's my top five, even my top 10, some guys that are flying under the radar that you have to keep an eye on, and then really breaking down um, round by round where a, a lot of these guys are going to fall, and then obviously talk about some of my favorite players. We've talked about a, a few of them over the course of uh, the last two episodes, and uh, you know I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to these next uh, couple of weeks. I really had a lot of fun last year putting together the positional breakdowns. want to go ahead and bring that to you guys. Um, so hopefully you've enjoyed kind of me breaking down my mock draft. I'm going to try to get one last mock draft release before the draft is complete, so definitely check that out on the website. I'm going to try to put together one last podcast at the 
end of the year, I'm sorry, at the you know, right before the draft begins to kind of go over and recap where my picks are, especially in round number one. Um, cause that's prime time, man. You got to talk about those first round picks. Um, you know, that's really when all chaos breaks loose, though, is, is round number one, all the trades and everything else, who's going where, you know, and just when you think you've got that order down and you know exactly where the players are going, then a whole monkey wrench, you know, is thrown in with the trades. But that total organized chaos is a ton of fun, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Again, two and a half weeks away, that NFL draft. And my job over the next couple of weeks is to get you ready for that. So for readyforthedraft.com, and this is the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am Greg Schutz. I got to get out of here. Uh, but I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. And uh, stay tuned. A couple of days, we'll get you another podcast. Until then, take care, everyone. And I am out of here. <laughs>